So it's only our second week in the series. Therefore, I hope you won't mind if I kind of give you a review of what the book of Hebrews is about. I talked about that last week. I'm not going to do this every week in the introduction. I'm just letting you know that. But it's only the second week. I'd like to do it again to remind you, here's what the book is about. And here's why we're in Hebrews. Here's what we can expect to gain from the book of Hebrews. Well, we're in it because it's the Word of God. That would be enough. But it has a unique and a particular message. It's not the same as the message in Romans, not the same as the message in Jude. It has a unique message, and here's what the message is. The author is conscious of the fact that the people to whom he's writing naturally fall into several different categories, and you can see in the book when he's addressing this group, then that group, then that group. The one group are believers who are solid, faithfully, lovingly, firmly following their great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, their Lord. He addresses them. The second group is wavering. They're weakening. And the third group, and I'll tell you in what, and the third group has wavered and weakened, and they've already departed, and they left Jesus Christ. They're all Jewish. The book's called Hebrews. There's cultural pressure. Christians, my friend, Christians always feel cultural pressure. There's always, always, always a narrative. It differs from time to time, but it's always exerting the same pressure, trying to move believers somewhere other than the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Our pressures are not the same as their pressures, but they do the same thing. The pressure is designed to try and move you away from the Lord Jesus Christ and take you back to the kingdom of darkness. So their pressure was they were Hebrews, but they were believers in the Lord Jesus, and that was illegal in the Roman Empire, for starters. So that was pressure. Uh-oh, we're part of an illegal thing. There's persecution from Rome. And that was, not, that was something that was frowned upon and not loved at your place of employment. You're a what? You're part of the way? You're one of those Christians? You're a follower of Jesus Christ? That was problematic at work. And that was problematic in the family because all your family was Jewish, and now you've become a believer in Messiah Jesus. And they might have written you off. They might have cut you off. They might be giving you a hard, hard time. There's pressure. There's societal, cultural pressure coming upon you. And the pressure was driving them to walk back their faith in Christ. So the author tells them again and again and again and again in the book, hold fast. You have need of endurance that you may inherit the promises. Some of them were in big trouble. He describes them as already having departed, already having left Christ. We'll see them in subsequent chapters. He describes them like this says, they have now counted the blood of the covenant by which they were set apart common. Jesus' blood is just like your blood or my blood, no special blood, didn't atone for anybody, just a dead rabbi, he spilled his blood, common. He describes them in this way. They have now trampled underfoot the Son of God. They threw Jesus down in the dirt and stomped on him. That's effectually what they did by turning back to Judaism and away from Jesus Christ, back to ease, back to comfort, back to social acceptability, back to, back to the good life before I got into all this Christian trouble and persecution and danger and whatnot. That was their problem. How's this book then going to relate to us? Most of us aren't Jewish. We're not going through what they were going through. It's not illegal yet to be a Christian in America. How's this going to relate to us? Well, it's really highly relatable 
They had one kind of pressure, pressuring them to go to the world without Christ is the world. And we have different social things going on, pressuring us to do the same thing, to go to the world. I'm going to leave Christ and go to the world. Their things are already named. Our things are things like this. The pressure in our day is, it comes from naturalistic science. Maybe some of you feel pressure from that quarter. There's pressure to, to affirm things, various things, in the sexual revolution, right? A lot of pressure. Full court press in some places on that one right now. There's pressure to affirm the, the um, what do I want to say? I forget what it is right now. The, uh, there's a pressure to affirm, oh, the transgender stuff. There's pressure. And some Christians are really feeling that pressure. There's pressure to affirm that a woman should have equal outcomes to a man, and therefore a woman should be able to do that thing. And if a pregnancy occurs, she should be able to walk away from that pregnancy just like the man can. We must have equal outcomes or else it's not fair. There's pressure to affirm that. There's even pressure to affirm social Marxism that says we're going to eliminate oppression. Good luck. Do you know anything about human nature? We're going to eliminate oppression and create a utopia where everybody always treats everybody right. And then we're going to turn Jesus into the Savior who purveys that utopia. It's a different Jesus, not the Jesus of the Word of God. And in addition to all those, but in kind of a different direction, there's also the question about this one slays a lot of people. This one makes a lot of people doubt and then maybe walk away from the biblical Lord Jesus. And it is this, if God is all-powerful and if God is loving, why all the suffering? And so they walk away from God, but you know, they still have all the suffering. It didn't make the suffering go away when you walked away from Christ. But now you have absolutely no, you, no way of even making any meaning about it. It's meaningless suffering. Who cares? We're just carbon units. Why should we even be bothered by suffering? It just is what is. You, you lost any basis for affirming the horror of suffering and for finding redemption from it through Jesus Christ, new heavens and a new earth. So they had their things that were pushing them back to the world. Judaism without Christ was then the world. We have our pressures pushing us to the world, and people are getting pushed. People are getting pushed by these things to affirm this, to agree with that, to allow that, or you're a hater. Now, one of the things the author does in the book of Hebrews, and this is one of the reasons why we decided we'd go into Hebrews now, is he keeps dumping Christology onto the page. And his opening salvo, as I called it last week, is a masterpiece, an absolute masterpiece of doctrine, of beautifully constructed doctrine about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we're blessed to be in that section right now. Here's what we saw last week in the opening verses. We saw that Jesus Christ, last time, this is a slide, we saw that Jesus Christ is son, as opposed to Moses or the prophets, that he is a prophet, God spoke by him, that he is heir of all things. And the, the point the author is making, so why would you leave him and go back to Moses? Why would you leave him 
and go back to anything else the world has to offer. But there's more, more Christology. So are you ready for some more Christology? You want this sermon to continue? That's all I needed. Thank you. Just need a little reassurance now and then. Here's what we see next. He is creator. He is creator. Hebrews 1, 2, C, the third part of the verse. Through whom also he, the Father, created the world. Through him, Jesus. Jesus is the one through whom God the Father created the world. He is creator. In fact, it gets bigger than world. In chapter 1, verse 10, the Father says to the Son, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So it's the universe. Now we're up to the universe. God the Son created the world in verse, was it 1C? Verse 2C. But down in verse 10, he created the universe. Again, in chapter 11, verse 3, it's going to be the universe, all things. So the point here, again, is obvious. Why would you walk back from the one who created the universe? Do you not think he's pretty special? What would you walk back to? Well, I met this girl. No comparison, friend. He's creator of the universe. Now, I want to pause and remind you. I know I did this last week, but I want to do it again because I think I can do it better and more succinctly. I want to remind you what we know now about the universe. To them, the universe was a very small thing. That was their cosmology. But we've got instruments. We've got telescopes. We can look. We can measure things. And the best cosmology, which I have no reason to disbelieve, tells us that if we look as far as we can look that way and as far as we can look this way, the distance from there to there is 98 billion light years. So if you travel at the speed of light, it'll take you just 98 billion years to get from there to there. All right, let's go in one direction. Let's go as far as we can go that way. How far is that going to be? That's going to be 49 billion years. So let's travel at the speed of light, which you can't do, and let's go there for 49 billion years. And when you get there, have you reached the edge? Is there a wall? Is there a brick wall? Is there nothing? No. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see another 49 billion years if you have the right telescope. So let's go there. And then you're going to see another 49 billion years. Let's go there. And then you're going to, how many times do you want me to do that? In fact, they all tell us, they're pretty sure of this, that the farther out you go, the faster it's all moving away from us. In fact, they say, now hang on, it's actually moving away from us, the universe is, the very fabric of space and time is enlarging at faster than the speed of light. You say, well, that's impossible. That's the, the universal speed limit is the speed of light. Nothing can go faster than 160, 80, 186. Yeah, that, uh-huh, <laughs> per second. Yeah, they're not saying something's moving through the universe faster than light. They're saying the universe itself is escalating, is unpacking, is itself spreading faster than the speed of light. And the farther away you go, the faster it is. So it is virtually infinite because you'll never get anywhere that isn't just getting away from you faster and farther and farther and farther. In other words, it's absolutely mind-boggling 
There's a thing, a thing in the production of sound, like if you have an amplifier and a guitar and whatnot, there's a thing, I don't know about it, you know about it. He's a musician, I'm looking at it. They call this thing clipping, right? I think clipping is when you're dumping too much signal in and it might bust your speakers or something, so the machine saves your speakers and it clips the sound off. And it, so our brains are clipping when we try to understand the magnitude of the universe as the best cosmologists, I think, are telling us, I have no reason to doubt them, how big it really is. Now, back to the text. He made it all. Not only is he your beloved Savior, died on Calvary's cross, shed his blood for the remission of your sins, not only does he give you the free gift of everlasting life, which he purchased in his own body hanging on the tree, He's also the creator of that universe. Why would you walk back? No, I don't want him. I think I'm, I'm going to leave him. I'm going to be like Demas. Paul says, Demas has departed, having loved this present world. Demas said, no, I want to go back to the world. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm going back. Why would you leave him for a... This is Jacob and Esau language. For a mess of this world's pottage. Why would you do that? No, he made everything out of nothing by a word through whom he also created the world. So when you read, all right, time for a quiz. I almost gave it away. In which book and chapter of the Bible do we find creation? Very good. All right. Yeah, Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be life. What we're being told is, and we're told this in many places, that was God the Son who said that. He was the one through whom the Father created all things. It was God the Son. He was there. He was creator. This is very important, something you want to know about your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Lord. So I'm going to bring in some other references. Are you okay with some other references? I want you to see that this is not just some little thing out on a limb that doesn't matter. It comes up in a number of passages. He's creator. So here's some passages. We saw one of these a couple weeks ago, John chapter 1, verse 3. Here it is. All things. So take anything that's a thing... And it was made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So let's pile up, let's gather up and pile up all things. There they are in a pile. Who made those? He did. Is he a thing? No, he was not made. He made everything that was made. We get this again in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Another beautiful deposit of Christology. So carefully, brilliantly crafted. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. You, my friend, you exist through Jesus Christ. So I don't want to have anything to do with him. You can't help it. He made you. 
He sustains you. You're made through his creative work. Hebrews 3, verses 3 and 4. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house. Christ here in this picture is the builder of the house. The house is the universe. He built it. He's the architect. He's the builder. He's the one who said, let there be, and there was. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus is God. He's creator. So why would you go back to Moses? Why would you go back to the world? Why would you go back to, yeah, but I want, to, I want us to have a utopia where everybody has equal outcomes. Why would you go back to the evils of the sexual revolution? Why would you go back to the evils of the gender revolution? Back to, I'm, maybe you weren't, but you're going back to the world and they're in the world. Why would you go back to the world, to those things? Why would you go back because you want homosexuality to be fine, because you want gay marriage to be fine, because you want marriage to be non-hierarchical, because you want women to be able to walk away from a pregnancy just as a man? Again, equal outcomes. Why would you leave Jesus Christ for any of that? This is the stuff people are leaving Christ for. That's why I'm talking about it. These are the current social pressures. These are the things that are making people say, huh, you know, maybe gay is okay. I think I'm going back. I'm going to find a branch of Christianity. It isn't really Christianity that affirms gay. I'm going to become a progressive Christian. You heard of that? Same thing as old time liberalism. Nothing progressive about it. It's regressive. It takes you back to sin and judgment and the fall. And it's not Christianity. It's a fake religion. But people are going to leave the truth for that because then I could be loving and affirming. People are going back for that. No, he's the son, he's prophet, he's heir, he's creator, and now there's more, and it gets even crazier. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Let's stop there. So this is language taken from the sun, first century language from the sun. So the sun radiates light and heat. The sun radiates. So the sun, we could talk about the sun. What an amazing ball of fire up there in the sky. Whew, that, that's crazy. Let's go up to the sun. We got a special suit on so we can do this. We're going up to the sun and we're going to get down to one inch away from whatever you determine to be the actual circumference of the sun. Going to get one inch away from that. What's there? Light and heat radiating away from the sun. What we're seeing, when you see the sun, you're not seeing the core. You're not seeing a half a mile down. You're seeing what's on the, on the surface. It's radiating away. That's what you're seeing with the sun. Jesus Christ is that. The Father is the sun, S-U-N in, in the story. And Jesus Christ is what radiates away. In other words, it's like this. When, when Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough. And Jesus said, have you been with me so long and you don't know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? He's the radiance of the Father's glory. Um, 
The apostle John writes with amazement in 1 John, that which we have seen and beheld and handled and we've heard of him and he's the word of life and the glory of the Father. So Christ is the glory that radiates from the Father so you can see the Father's glory. There was glory up on Mount Sinai. It was Christ. There was glory at the transfiguration. It was from Christ. There's glory that appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, blinding light. It was Christ. You can't see the Father. You can see the Son. When you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. Same attributes, same deity, same divine nature. So he is the radiance of the glory of God. Just try to grasp that. There's clipping going on here. And the exact imprint of his nature. This is language from first century coin making. So you've got some molten, I don't know what. What did they make coins out of, Mark? Nickel? Copper? Silver? Let's go silver. I'm liking silver. So we got some molten silver here, and we got a stamp that's got a thing we engraved on it, and, and we're going to go boom, and then you got a coin, and the coin's going to exactly correspond to what was on the stamp. That's the language. So he is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. Now, you're not. I'm not. Moses wasn't. Isaiah wasn't. Jesus Christ is. Everything that is true, everything that God has as his nature, Jesus Christ has. He's the exact imprint. There's a 100% correspondence between God the Father and God the Son. Colossians 1.15 chimes in, he is the image of the invisible God. He's where you can see God. All the glorious perfections, all the attributes of the Father, the Son has them all. Why would you leave him? Why would you leave the radiance of the glory of God? Why would you leave the exact imprint of his nature? Well, I found something better. What what could that possibly be? Don't ever leave Jesus Christ. Do what the book says again and again and again. Hold fast. You have need of endurance that you may inherit the promises. Keep on believing. Keep on repenting. Keep on following Jesus Christ. Don't stop till you're dead, and then you'll keep on going. Why leave him for the prince of darkness? Why leave him for devilish morality? Worship him. Adore him. Love him. Follow him. Don't walk away from him. There's more. We're not done the Christology yet. There's even more. Hebrews 1, 3b, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, or I put it up there for you. Another fair translation would be, and he bearing all things by the word of his power. Same idea. He, he bears all things. He upholds all things. So you got a big load, you got a big burden, you're going to put it on my shoulder, and I've got to bear it up. He bears up all things by the word of his power. It doesn't, have, it doesn't exist all by itself. If he stopped bearing it up, it would disappear. It would, st- it would cease to be. Only he has the thing theologians call a seity. What does that mean? It exists by itself. It doesn't depend on anything else for existence. He is self-dependent. The universe depends on him. 
You're only here because he's upholding you by the word of his power. Did you realize that? You're not like this little autonomous thing, and if God disappeared, I'd still be here. No, no, nothing would be here. In him we live and move and have our being. So he upholds the universe. So let's get in our spaceship again and go out. First stop, second stop, third stop, fourth stop. There's a whole lot. There's infinite stops, is what they're telling us, because it's spreading so fast out there. And all of that, Jesus Christ upholds by a word. By the word of his power. Clipping! All of that. Don't leave him. Hold fast to him. Be like the parable of the pearl of great price. You found the pearl. Sell everything and get Christ. Part with anything and cling to the Savior. Walk away from anything, not Jesus. And there's more. Hebrews 1.3. Pardon me. After making purification for sins, we'll come back to that, he sat down. Where? At the right hand of the majesty on high. More Christology. This is some, of, some of this is what he did. He made purification for sins. And where he is and what he's doing and what status does he have, he sat down at the right hand of God. Let's take the first part. After making purification for our sins. Hallelujah. Amen. What did Jesus Christ, your Savior, do? He made purification for my sins. So that I, a very impure man, and you, very impure woman or man, can be made clean and pure in the sight of a holy God. I never tire of Paul's reference to this in Colossians. I think it's in chapter 1. In Christ he sees, the Father sees us as holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Amazing. You want to go, me? Unblameable? Have you been watching? Me? Unreprovable? Me? Holy? Yeah, in Christ. He is He has made purification. In Christ you are pure. What will I get if I become a Christian? I'm here today checking it out. What will I get if I become a Christian? You'll get pure with God. Pure in the sight of God. He'll view view you as one of his holy ones. This is what Jesus did on the cross. This is why he spilled his blood to purchase his people, the people that the Father gave him, John 6 and John 10. Moses didn't make purification of sins. The blood of bulls and goats never purified one sin. That's why they had to be offered, the book was going to tell us, again and again and again and again. Each one was just a reminder that the last one failed because you need another one. Why do we, Dad, why do we have to offer another goat this year? Because the one last year didn't do us one bit of good. It just reminded us that we're sinners with the hope that we would call upon God for mercy through Christ Jesus. But Christ made propitiation for sins. This is, a, as you might imagine, it's a major theme in the book of Hebrews. Can I dump some quick references in on you? You in the back back there, could I dump some quick references on you? Thank you. I got a thumbs up back. Okay. Hebrews 2.17. He made propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 9.26. He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put 
away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.28, he was offered once. You see the contrast? Offerings of bulls and goats and bulls and goats and bulls and goats. He was offered once to bear the sins of many. Hebrews 10.12, he, he offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 10.14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That was one, two, three, four, five other times where this comes up in the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ and his vicarious, substitutionary, atoning, sin-bearing death on Calvary's cross. Which, by the way, progressive Christianity doesn't even have. So don't go back. Don't go to the world as it forms itself in this thing called progressive Christianity. You know what they say about the cross? You know what they say about the death of Jesus? Same thing classical liberalism said about it. They both say this, oh, Jesus died on the cross. What a marvelous example of how much God loves us. He even let us crucify his son, and he still loves us. That's all the cross is, is a marvelous example of God's love. Well, it was that, but it's way more than that. It's where atonement was made. They have no atonement in their doctrine. It's where substitutionary atonement was made. It's where there was a vicarious sacrifice, one in the place of the other. They don't even have that in their theology. They, don't believe, they believe that's horrible. Don't go back to progressive Christianity. It's bankrupt. It doesn't even have Christ. It has somebody else they name Christ. So after making purification for sins, notice what comes next, he sat down. We'll look at where in a moment. First, just this fact. He sat down. Now, what's that in there for? What's it telling us? Does it mean he was tired? Did he have a recliner? Electronic thing? Feet come up? What's that in there for? He sat down. What's the point? It's the same point as when he's hanging on the cross and he said the, the Greek word is tetelestai. You know what that means, right? It's, it is finished. On the cross, it is finished. At the right hand of the Father, he sat down. What's that mean? Job done. Atonement made. The purchase price for redemption has been laid down. He'll bring every sheep the Father gave him, gave him safely to the last day and raise him up from the dead. He sat down. Bless God, we have a Savior who sat down. Why would you leave him? He did the job. It's done. Stay with Jesus Christ. He sat down and notice now where and in what position? At the right hand of the majesty on high. Moses isn't there. Even John the Baptist isn't there. Jesus Christ is there at the right hand of the Father with all authority on heaven and in earth given unto him. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Five times, you'll be interested to know, five times in the book of Hebrews, he sat down. He sat down. Am I going to drive you nuts? He sat down. He sat down. He sat down. 
Why? 13 chapters, five, he sat down. What's the point? It's a point. Job is done. Nobody after an Old Testament sacrifice sat down. You just offered the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one forever, and they never took away sins. Why are you going back to that? It's a bankrupt system. Christ sat down. You want it to get even crazier? Colossians chapter 3. You are seated there with him in the heavenly places if you're in Christ. Yes. At the right hand of the majesty on high. I feel like I'm failing you because I'm going to be closing early. There's a countdown clock in the back wall, and I have more minutes left than I have sermon left. Should I make something up quick? (laughs) You're all going to go home mad at me. In closing, so we have learned that Jesus Christ is prophet, heir of all things, creator of all things, God, upholder of all things, purifier of all sins that get purified, and he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. His job is done, and he has all authority on the heavens and the earth. So come to him. Call upon him. Believe on him. Pray to him that he would be your savior and your God. He died to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You're the people. Call upon him. And you have called upon him? Good. Stay there. Keep on following. Keep on believing. Closer and closer as the days go by. And don't let the world draw you back with its powerful sin magnets and its evil and error magnet. Don't let the world attract you. No, you stay with Jesus Christ, the one who's in the Bible, the real Jesus Christ. Keep holding fast to him. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. Die one day in his arms. To the glory of God. Will you bow with me and we'll pray together. Father, thank you for this time and your holy word. And we are praying today that downstairs and upstairs again and all over the world, pray that sinners might be saved today. Would you pour out the Holy Spirit, the spirit of redemption, to open blind eyes, to speak into deaf ears, to give new hearts, that people in this room may even now be transferred from darkness into light, from death into life as they bow the knee and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, by your grace and for your glory, many of us have. Oh, give us grace to persevere, we pray. May we keep following. May we hold fast. May we keep loving our Lord Jesus Christ supremely. And may we live to his honor and glory. For it's in his name that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.